are turning with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have been here for three weeks now in one chapter because it's an important chapter. And it's one that not only Paul would have us look at or the church, but Jesus would. And so I want to read to you, and we're just going to drop, if you'll drop down to 15 to 35 through 38 and 42 through 50. Notice these words by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool! (laughs) What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Draw down to 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Teach us now from these few words that we have here, and then... Send us out on mission, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been in a series, if you have not been with us, during Epiphany. This is the season of Epiphany, and it's moving quickly toward Lent because uh, we're almost there. Beginning of March will be the beginning of Lent, where we actually put ashes on our head, dust, as it were, to remind us just of what Paul is saying here, that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel. That's what I'm going to say on that day to everybody that gets ashes imposed on their head because it's biblical to say such things. (laughs) Taken actually right from the Bible and from a practice in the Old Testament of reminding oneself that you are dust. We're made from the dust of the ground and we will return to dust. We will die. Um, And so during this time of epiphany, though, we're looking at Jesus manifesting himself in certain things, particularly in this idea of resurrection. And the church has us parked in resurrection for three Sundays. The first of those, we dealt with the belief of the resurrection. That is to say, the actual, historical, in time and space, bodily resurrection of Jesus which, by the way, is the culmination of the gospel. 
To people talk about preaching the gospel. If you preach a gospel without resurrection, you're not preaching the gospel, friend. It's not the gospel. The forgiveness of sins doesn't go far enough. The holy life doesn't go far enough. (laughs) He's going to deal with the body too. It is a full salvation. It is a holistic salvation. He is going to save the whole person. And the whole person does not just consist of your soul to the demise of the body. That's a big point, okay? And and just to kind of tease you a little bit, the other world religions, they look down upon the body. The body is the problem. It is a prison. In Hinduism, the body is hell. So you're not going to hell, you're already in hell. And you're trying to escape the body. And as soon as you can get out of the body after living thousands of lives, then that's what they say is salvation. Not Christianity. Not our doctrine. No. What, What did we just say? Did you just say it with your own mouth? I believe you did when we said this. We believe, and then you go on down, in the Holy Spirit and what? Do you remember what it is? The resurrection of the body. We say it every single week because it is a staple of our faith. It is foundational to our faith. It is the final thing that God will do to save us. You see, we have been saved from our sins because of justification. We are being saved now because of God's work of sanctification. And we will be saved in glorification, which is the glorifying of the body. The body in the resurrection of the dead. Now, I get it. We've kind of, in evangelicalism, overemphasized the first thing, which is justification, which gets us in the door. (laughs) We're in the lobby of all that God wants to do. He has a fullness that he wants to bring into our life, but we tell him often, and I see this all the time, is that, oh, that certainly can't happen. He certainly can't deliver us from sins. All we can ever be is in the ditch, just forgiven. And friend, I'm just telling you, you hadn't read the New Testament if you believe that. There's power and grace that is greater than sin. You're still stuck in your sins. That is, continuously going back to there or looking over your shoulder to the things of this world because he has not entirely sanctified your life. He has not yet been the full surrender of your life. He has not, you have not laid your whole life on the altar, as Paul would say, offered your body as a living sacrifice. Instead, we use our hands, we use our feet, we use our mind for things that are ungodly. And I'm telling you right now, he can not only forgive, he can do that, and thanks be to God he can, but he can also, he can heal. (laughs) He's the great physician. The way we kind of talk about this, excuse me, the way we talk about this in theology, good thing my body is oftentimes fixed with water. (laughs) The way we talk about this in theology is this, justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin, right? There's a penalty over us, not just because of Adam, but because of Adam, but also because of our own sin. There's a penalty. And justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we are saved from the power of sin 
in our life. Its power is broken. We are given freedom. And those who Christ makes free are what? Free indeed, my friend. And then finally, in glorification, (laughs) we are saved from the very presence of sin. There will be no more sin. No more sea, no more darkness, every tear wiped away for all time. The end of all things. Now, if that doesn't get you going, you might be dead in your sins. You need to be made alive in Christ because this thing of resurrection is the final thing that God will do to save us. Now, th- obviously, this is what uh, you know, Paul is dealing with here, which is why when we take communion, we always say this, this same thing and, and notice the past, present, and future orientation, both of justification, sanctification, glorification, or saved, being saved, will be saved. Or we say it like this, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Why do we long for his coming? Because my body is decaying. Same as yours. And if you've felt these pains of death, like I'm feeling more and more in my 40s, it's like, that was used to be easy for me to do. What is going on, Mr. Body? And it's not cooperating always with me. In fact, I've had some issues going on even recently. I'm just like, what in the world, man? And somebody keeps saying, well, aren't you now 40? Shouldn't you be expecting these things? Why? Because our body, friends, we are going to die. We're not just going to continue to live forever, which is why we should not spend our days scrolling on our phone and scrolling our life away or playing our life away or entertaining ourselves to death. Now, look, I, I love shows and, you know, video games, whatever. But if that's what you do with your body, and this is what you give yourself to, it's idolatry, plain and simple. It is what we give ourselves to. And Christ is asking us to give ourselves to him and one another. Hold your people in your heart. How many people do you hold in your heart from week to week besides yourself? How many people do you engage in that you would be their pastor? You would be a shepherding comfort in their life. Gentle correction in their life. How many? All of us, all Christians that have the spirit of God, which is what it means to be a Christian, should be involved in the lives of others in a way that is discipling them and they you you've already heard it from from brandon who really is a bishop where he is brandon is a bishop that lays his hands on brothers just like what you just saw and sends them out and i've been there i've seen it myself and this is exactly what we do here and the laying on of hands you know in ordination, you, there's all, ordination always happens with the laying on of hands. It's anointing, which is Holy Spirit, but then the laying on of What is the laying on of hands? Old Testament. What did they do to a sacrifice? They laid hands on it. They laid hands on it. 
you are giving up your life. May I say, all of you are in the order of God. You are all ordained. Lay people, deacons, pastors, and what we would call bishops or elders in, in our association. That's God's order of people. If you are a Christian, you are on this spectrum, dear friend. Now, whether or not you are doing your obligations, you know, maybe we can check on that. And that's kind of what you know, my job is to do, is to shepherd and prod and pull back and correct. But you have that same job in your neighborhood, at your work. Amongst your friends and family. Okay. Well, (laughs) Christ will come again, and so we must be about his business. He is going to save to the uttermost. Are we allowing him to do that? Are we cooperating with that grace in our life? Here's the deal with Paul. He he actually gets kind of angry here and calls them fools, doesn't he? And you're kind of like, whoa, bro, hey, chill out, man. And, he, and it actually is strong, even in the Greek. It's a strong term for foolish ones. Why would you ask this? Because really, the thought is, they're not asking for an answer. They're asking to make fun of the resurrection. You know, people do this, right? <laughs> you know, oh, right. So, so pastor, I, I get it. I get it. I understand. You serve a God. And come in and worship him on Sundays who, who allows people to be born paralyzed. I get it. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Great. You allow people to die. God, your God allows people to die. That's cool. I understand that kind of God. They're making fun of the resurrection. And people do it today. Not just resurrection, but Christ and his gospel and his church. They think we're a bunch of idiots that gather today in his name in an invisible person. No. No. That's... And Paul says, foolish ones, foolish ones, because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's who's foolish. Let them laugh, you know, let them laugh. The the reality is this, they're blind. They're blind, they need our help. We're not to pull out the sword and run it through them. We're not to backlash and get angry. They are in deception And we are called to shine the light, aren't we? That's what we're called to do. To be light, salt, and light. If you knew Carrie, that's what she was always about, being salt and light. And she was salty, let me just say. She was not salt that had lost its flavor, no siree. Paul is answering two questions here that I wish I could spend a lot more time than I'm going to spend on it. But how are the dead raised? And then with what kind of body will we have? Which, I mean, we all kind of, I mean, as we've been walking through resurrection, uh, Pastor Bruce and I, I've been wondering the same thing. It's like, man, how is this going to happen? I've had to work through a And then what is it going to be like, right? I mean, and Jack and I, he and I even have discussed this in our small group with a few of you. It's like, yeah, these questions resonate even today for us. Well, for Paul, as I was saying yesterday, if you were in our session, he uses an illustration not from the Bible for, for how this is going to be, but rather from creation. Did you catch this? It's a seed. He says, guys, listen, it's like a seed. You throw a seed in the ground... 
And, and, you know, looking at a seed, you would never think it could become a great oak tree. Does this make sense? A little acorn, it's like, nah, bro, it's not going to become much in life, you know. You throw it in the ground, though, and what happens to it? It germinates and transforms into a living plant that will grow over the years into a great tree. Now, you looking at the tree and then looking at the acorn, how does this happen? You see, in our scientific mind, we have lost the wonder of creation. God came up with that process. In fact, uh, to prove the point even further, Justin Martyr, in dealing with this very thing, and I'll be... Um, sensitive to some of the younger ears, but God created this process and hopefully you are having a talk about this that is positive because he's the one who came up with sex, right? Just you're like this. You don't have to say yes if you're nervous. You're like, oh boy, here we go. Here's the pastor going off on a tear. Listen, here's what Justin Martyr, remember Justin Martyr? They call him Martyr because he was martyred, right? Name was Justin, early church father. I'm talking about very early, second century, early second century. And here's what he says in dealing with this very thing of resurrection. He says, he says, you know, take semen. If you were to look at semen or the seed of man, you would never think Blakely could be produced from that. But guess what? Blakely is the result of the seed of man. In the same way, you say, how? Look around you in creation. Acorns are turning into trees. The seed of man is turning into a Blakely dag. Have you seen how beautiful she is? God says through Paul, you don't think this is a little thing for God? What are you talking about? How? He created everything that is out of nothing. There was nothing, and then he ordered everything. Don't you think he can remake a life? What happens when one dies and then corrodes in the ground, turns back into dust, which the Bible doesn't deny for one second? Or if you're burned up in a car wreck, or if you go the way of cremation. All of those are appropriate. To be buried in the ground properly and sealed and all that kind of... You're all going to end up the same way. Nothing but dust. So then what happens, Pastor? What in the Well, what the Bible tells us is he can take that and remake us same body, but different. This is the Christian faith on this matter. Is it's the same body, comma, but different. Exclamation point. I'm used to talking into my little thing, you know, forgive me. Or talk texting, you know. Isn't that true though? You say, well, where's your proof, brother? Oh, well, Jesus Christ himself. Here's what the Bible says about resurrection. We will be like him. We don't know all the details, but we will be like him. Now, what was Jesus like? I'm keeping this very brief. I have much more I'm wanting to say, but I'm, I'm pushing on, okay? So just encourage me and let me stop. What was Jesus like? Well, you know what? At times, he could be recognized. Oh, there's Jesus. Other times, he seemed to be kind of hidden. He was physical. He said, hey, guys, bring me some food so I can eat it. And he ate fish. And yet, he was able to walk through a wall. But he also was able to show them the scars in his hands and his side, his feet. Thomas touches those, doesn't he? 
You see, it was the same body, which is why we believe in a bodily resurrection. Your body, the one I'm looking at now, the one that at the funeral, well, all the funerals I do of those I know died in the faith, I speak to their body. You know what? You'll come back to life. And they will. Now, it won't be the same. Does this make sense? It's the same body, but it won't be the same. There's a transformation that takes place, just like in the seed, right? The seed does not, it doesn't grow up just to be a larger seed. No, no. It grows into something that it transforms. The term that the New Testament would actually have us see is transfiguration. Which, by the way, is next Sunday. It's the transfiguration of Christ. It's transfiguration, which is metamorphosis. In other words, taking a worm, a slimy little worm, and turning it into a beautiful butterfly. Same body, but different. You see? That's where we're headed, friend. This body won't need to eat, won't need to sleep, and won't need sex. This is what the New Testament teaches on this matter. We will be beyond that, and here's the biggest thing. No sin. No sin. No impulses to sin. No desires to sin. No appetites to sin. Sin will be done away with. It'll be the end of it. When we are glorified, we will be like him. In the Old Testament, Job foresees this, doesn't he? Listen to his words. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and I shared this two weeks ago. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. That's exactly what he says he's going to do. And after my skin has thus been destroyed. And Job was old. He's old. He's gone. Like, he, he's certainly dust now. My skin has been destroyed. Then from my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side. And my eyes shall behold him and not another. It's no longer a vision. It's no longer by faith. No, when we get our glorified body, we will look upon the face, the very nature and essence and being of the triune God himself. Face to face. Face to face. Now, as Pastor Bruce preached last week, we can already enjoy this, what's called really, eternal life. This eternal life is given now. This resurrection life, this grace that is growing in us is germinating now. Right now in those who are of the faith, walking and living in the spirit. Abraham saw this as well. You know this, right? You remember what happened when he took his boy up there to sacrifice him. Here's what he told his servants. The boy and I, we will come back. Now he was going to kill his boy. How in the world? Because he believed in resurrection. David believed in resurrection. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's the place of the dead, the place of shadows, where everybody goes. Then, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. There will be no more decay. Those paralyzed, those amputated, those that are lacking in some way that we would say they're not whole in their body, which most of us aren't. 
they will be made whole. Our body will be transformed and we will be with God and one another. Not ephemerally, ghostly on a cloud playing a harp. Get, drive that out of your mind. There is a new heaven, a new earth. More work to be done. More knowledge of God. You think you're just going to know everything at the snap of your death? That's not what the scripture teaches, friend. We can never know the depth of God. Which is why heaven will never be boring. Our glorified existence will be absolute felicity. That is happiness and wholeness and completeness for all eternity. Have you ever been caught up in a moment with the one you loved? Or in something that you loved doing and you just simply lost track of time? Imagine that for all of our existence. Never ending, always pushing deeper and further in and yet still working because work is not a punishment. Work is something God does. We'll still be creating. And just imagine, in our fallen condition now, look at all the things around us that we've created as humans. Footballs and computers and stadiums and air conditioning. Thanks be to God. Imagine the creative power in the new heaven and new earth. You see, he likes trees. I guarantee there'll be trees. He likes animals. He created them all. Everything because of Jesus Christ's salvation on the cross and resurrection. Every part of creation will be redeemed. Which is why even now the creation groans within itself. For what? The redemption of the sons and daughters of God. Their full redemption. <laughs> Which is resurrection, right? You, you follow what I'm, you know, smell what I'm stepping in here. Okay. This has all begun at baptism. It's sustained in this Eucharistic meal. And as we gather together, encouraging one another, stirring one another up. Here's the way Paul ends. And it's, and it's found at the very end here of, of his chapter, which is not included in our reading. Therefore, you say, okay, this is great and grand, Pastor. What do we need to go out here with? Well, here's what it is. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Immovable. Don't move. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Do you know our missionaries need to hear that? Do you know I need to hear that sometimes? Because sometimes I labor for a missions conference and it seems like nobody shows up. And I give about eight hours to a time of teaching and about 15 people show up. And I think, boy, that was a waste. And I hear in the back of my head, no, no, no work done in the name of Jesus. No glass of water shared in the name of Jesus. No meal passed on. No amount of clothing. No amount of secret work that's done in an inventory or in Mexico or Guatemala or in China. Nothing will escape his gaze. He sees the work. And work we must. Put it out of your head that the gospel means we don't work. No, sir. You've read something wrong. 
Paul says the conclusion of a faith in resurrection means that you get to the plow. You put your hands to the plow and start planting seeds of the gospel everywhere you go so that they mature and grow and many people spring up to everlasting life and complete happiness and fulfillment in the end. That's our mission. That's our mission conference. (laughs) I don't know how else to end it other than to say we are to be about his business and we can live and work in full assurance that one day he will make all things right. Praise be his name. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so in your life. Amen.